Today's daf is Kavzayin in Masechet Betza. We will begin on Kavzayin Amud Aleph, six lines from the top of the Amud Rabbi Yudan Nesiyah. Rabbi Yudan Nesiyah once had a Bukhur that had a blemish. He wanted it to be um, uh, certified as a blemished Bukhur so he could feed it to Kohanim who were dining with him. Obviously, he himself was not a Kohen, so he could not partake of the Bukhur, even, uh, but he wanted the Kohanim, he wanted to be able to present it to the Kohanim uh, who were with him. And uh, so he sent it, he sent it to Rabbi Ami, who was certified to uh, evaluate Bukhurot, it was on a Yom Tov. And he didn't want to look at it, he didn't want to certify it because it was a Yom Tov. Some say it was Rabbi Yirmiya, Said Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Shimon halachak Rabbi Yehuda. Usually, if there's a machloket between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda, we follow Rabbi Yehuda. And Rabbi Yehuda is the one that says that it is permissible to uh, view a bechor on the Yom Tov, provided that the, as we said on the previous daf, that there was uh, that this mum existed before the Yom Tov, and it just was a situation where there was no possibility of having it seen by an expert prior to the Yom Tov. Uh, in that case, Rabbi Yehuda permits it. So uh, why is it that you're being stringent? So he sent it to Rabbi Yitzchak Nafchas, and he also didn't want to uh, uh, to view it. So again, Rabbi Yirmi, as some say, it was Rabbi Zurika, said Rabbi Yudan, Rabbi Shimon, hold that the halacha is um, uh, is like Rabbi Yehuda when there's a machloket between uh, Rabbi Rabbi Shimon and. Uh, uh, and uh, and Rabbi Yehuda, so why is it that uh, you're refu- refusing to see this Bechor when really it should be permitted? Amalei Rabbi Abba, ma'ita amad lo shavaktinu le'rabbanadam ba'aduvda k'rabbi Shimon. Why won't you allow the uh, the rabbis to follow Rabbi Shimon? In other words, um, the uh, he so the the question was. <coughs> Why are they so insistent that Allah follows Rabbi Yehuda? Amalevat Mabiyadach. They asked him, "What's your uh, what? What do you hold? What's your situation?" Rashi says, "Shavkat Rabbi Yehuda ba'ilim ebad kremi Shimon." Why do you want to follow Rabbi Shimon? And where did you hear that Allah should follow Rabbi Shimon over here? Amalevachiyam Rabbi Zerah. This is what Rabbi Zerah said. Allah Rabbi Shimon. Right. So the. Uh, he said that Rabbi Zera said that Allah follows Rabbi Shimon in this particular case, and uh, and that's why these rabbis didn't want to follow Rabbi Yehuda. Amar Mandu, who a certain person said, is key. I want to have the zechut. I want to have the merit. I want to go there. He wanted to go to Eretz Israel and to learn this halacha directly from Rabbi Zera. He said, I hope that I'll have the opportunity to learn it directly from him. So, uh, when he went there, he found Rabbi Zerah. He said, did you say that Allah follows Rabbi Shimon over here? He said, no, what I said was that it's most likely that it makes the most sense to be like Rabbi Shimon. Not definitely that it was like Rabbi Shimon, but that it made sense. Why? So, uh, uh, so they said, because it says um, in the Mishnah, that Rabbi Shimon Omer Kol She'en Mumor Nikar Mi Baod Yom Enzemen Muchan that anything that doesn't have its mum 
evident from before the holiday is not muhan is not prepared for the holiday. The katani and we saw before in the previous daf that when it reported that halacha, it didn't say it in the name of Rabbi Shimon. It said the chachamim say that. So obviously the rabbis thought that the halacha was more likely like Rabbi Shimon. It seemed that there was a consensus among the chachamim to follow Rabbi Shimon in this matter because his opinion is reported in the name of the chachamim, not in his own opinion, not in his own name. My havela was the bottom line. I'm Rav Yosef Tashima. Rav Yosef said, "Come in here." The talgeb This is caught up in in great trees. In, in in other words, that there are big authorities on both sides of the issue. The Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, Amar Rabbi Yosho ben Levi, Amar Rabbi Yosi ben Shaul, Amar Rabbi Bishum Kalaka Deshab Debi Yerushalayim. That Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi said the name of Rabbi Yosho ben Levi, who said in the name of Rabbi Yosi ben Shaul, who said the name of Rabbi in the name of the holy community of Yerushalayim. Rabbi Shimon v'chaverav amru halacha Rabbi Meir. The Rabbi Shimon and his colleagues said the halacha follows Rabbi Meir. So the Gemara says, wait a second, How could it be that the, those rabbis reported the halacha in the name of Rabbi Meir? They were from before the time of Rabbi Meir. So how could they, uh, how could they say the halacha was in, uh, in other words, Rabbi Shimon and his colleagues are before the time of uh, Rabbi Meir. So how could they report the halacha in the name of Rabbi Meir? Ela... They said halacha in accordance with the same position that would eventually be Rabbi Meir's position. as it says in the Mishnah, If a person slaughters the bechor first and then shows its mum to an expert, that Rabbi Yehuda said it's okay, but diavad. If the expert comes and certifies that it did have a blemish that allowed it to be slaughtered, then fine. Rabbi Meir says since it was slaughtered not in accordance, not on the basis of the instructions of an expert, it's prohibited. Now again, we have to remember that a bechor normally in the time of the Beit Hamikdash would be as a korban. If it has a blemish, now the um, now the rabbis of the uh, uh, and now the kohanim will receive it or allowed to eat it even without bringing it as a korban. So it's an advantage to the kohanim for it to be declared to have a mum. Uh, because then they can eat it. And nowadays that we don't have korbanot, obviously the only way the Kohen would have an opportunity to eat it would be uh, if he uh, if he, it had a mum. So al makasav Rabbi Meir b'riat b'chor lav k'riat trefa. That we see from this that Rabbi Meir maintains that seeing a uh, bechor is not like examining a trefa because we bechor mechaim trefa shechita. We see that um, when it comes to uh, examining a bechor, it has to be done while the animal is still alive. When it comes to a trefa, it's done after the shechita. And from that we can tell that a riyat trefa, in other words, examining an animal for trefot, for, for defects that are that would make it a trefa, uh, can be done even on yom tov, because it's done after the slaughter, and the slaughter is done on the yom tov. Whereas the examining of a bechor has to be done from before the yom tov, because it is something that is qualitatively different from the um, from the examining of a trefa. In other words, it's more of a judgment. It's more of a considered a din than uh, the ju- than and than determining whether something is a trefa, which is just a matter of fact and is not a. Uh, it doesn't create the status. It's not an official act of judgment in the same way as the determining of a bechor. And if that's the case, so you see that the chachamim had a, in general. A, uh, a principle, an approach that the examining of Bechorot was taken to be something more stringent than, um, than the examining of a uh, trefa, and it wouldn't be allowed on Yom Tov. And so as she explains, Really, you see that all these rabbis held that examining a Bechorot was something much more uh, significant and, and much more... Uh, 
and therefore had to be restricted to before Yom Tov. Uh, and, uh, and, and therefore that Rabbi Yehuda was actually a yachid. He was an individual. He was alone in his opinion that really viewing of Bechorot and, and assessing of Bechorot could be done even on the Yom Tov because he thought of the viewing of a Bechorot, uh, the mum of a Bechorot is just a practical matter, like, and like the viewing of a Trefa. The, the, the general consensus of the Chachamim was not that way. And you see from it that it was not that way. Now, Amalei Abayabe said to him, uh, that uh, but the issue over there wasn't viewing a mum. It wasn't a question of when you could look at the mum. Over there, they're arguing actually about something totally different. In other words, Rabbi Meir wasn't talking about what, about the, the nature of the examination of a bechor, that it was somehow qualitatively different than the examination of a trefa. They were dealing with the issue of knas, of penalizing someone for not following proper procedure. Like Rabbi Yochanan. When it comes to these different, the defects that are in the eye that we, everyone translates as, as cataracts. I know that Dr. Chodadadian has said that it's not cataracts, it's something else. He's the expert. I can't remember what he said that it's called, but uh, if he's listening to the recording, I'm sure he will uh, let us know in, in our uh, chat. But uh, the point is that with, with regard to these subtle mum, everybody agrees you can't check that after the slaughter of the animal. Because that changes. It's such a, such a subtle thing that just because now it appears after the death of the animal, it might not have been there before the death of the animal. The question is about very obvious, gross physical defects. Rabbi Meir said, if we allow the view, that if we allow an expert to come after you already slaughtered the Bechor without permission and to determine that this defect that it has, this bodily defect, is a qualifying defect, then he's going to come to do the same thing with more subtle Mumin, where it's not really valid, the assessment that the expert makes after the death of the animal. And therefore, we shouldn't allow that either. Rabbi Yehuda simply says, no, we don't make such a Zerah, we don't make such a stringency. In other words, the whole thing that that's involved here is a... Um, is a is a matter of a that we make because the person didn't follow the proper procedure of uh, uh, of asking an expert first, right? So Rebbe Meir says since he didn't ask an expert first, even though in this case it's an it's obvious that this defect was there even before the animal was killed, we still don't allow him to take advantage of it, right? That's a different issue than whether he'd be able to look at mumin and yom tov. So now in Amar of Nachman Bar Yitzchak, we also see. A support for this from our Mishnah, or not our Mishnah, but from a Mishnah, from the Mishnah that was cited before. The Katan, because it says, it says since it was slaughtered not with an expert permission in advance, it's prohibited. You see from that that it's a knas that he's making. In other words, he's penalizing the person for not following proper procedure. It has nothing to do with looking at a bechor and assessing a bechor being qualitatively different than looking at a treifa. It doesn't necessarily mean that Rebbe Meir would say that you can't view treif- that you can't view bechorot, mumin of bechorot, defects of uh, firstborn animals on a Yom Tov. The two don't necessarily go together. Amar Vardina, Ami Vardina, Chazi Bukhra. Ami Vardina, a person that was the name of, he, it says, Na'eya she says, Velshem Vradima Yanika, he was called Rosy Ami, because he was like a Verid. He was very, uh, he was very handsome. Um, Rashi says, no, it was the name of the place that he was from. I, he says there's two possibilities. He quotes both. Either way, this person, Ami Vardina, Chazei Bukhwa, the Bein Sehaba, he was the official Bechor viewer for the house of the Nasi. He would not view them on Yom Tov. They said to him, Rabbi Ami. They said, they, uh, uh, they said to Rabbi Ami, 
that he was do that he was abstaining from viewing the Bechorot on the Yom Tov, and Amar Lehoi said to them, Shapir Kavit is doing the right thing to Lachazik by not viewing the Bechorot. The question is, ah, Amy, is that true? Rabbi Ami, Gufei, Chazei, don't we know that Rabbi Ami himself would give rulings about Bechorot, about the Mumim, about the defects of Bechorot, the firstborn on Yom Tov? So how can he say that it was right that Ami Vardina didn't do it? Now it says no, Rabbi Ami Kichazemet Molhava Chazei. He would look at it the day before. Ovi Yom Tov Shulekam Mashil Hechiyav Avda. And what would happen is that on the day of Yom Tov, he might come to ask more follow-up questions. In other words, he would view it on Erev Yom Tov, but he wouldn't make the ruling until he had more questions, but he was in a rush on Erev Yom Tov. He didn't have time to ask all the pertinent questions, so therefore he would come on the Yom Tov and say, wait a second, how exactly did it happen? What was the circumstance? And so on and so forth. Because the rule is that if the person was the owner of the Bukhor, meaning if the Kohen who received the Bukhor is suspect for having created the blemish, so then the penalty is he cannot benefit from it because you're not allowed to create the mum on your own in order to benefit from the Bechor and to lower its sanctity. So therefore, we would have to ask more questions and sometimes he wouldn't do that until Yom Tov, so he wouldn't make the official ruling until Yom Tov, but he actually viewed it beforehand. Like, like the certain person, one time, a person bought a Bechorot for Rava to view right before the beginning of Yom Tov. And Rava was doing his hair, is washing his hair for Yom Tov. He looked up, he looked at the, uh, he looked at the mom. He told him, go today, but come for a follow-up tomorrow. When he came the next day, which was the Yom Tov, then Rava had more questions. What was the situation? There was a like a uh, <clears throat> a fence of thorns, and on one side of the fence of thorns there was barley, and the bechor, the firstborn animal, was on the other side of the fence of the thorns, and he stuck his head in to try to eat from the barley, and he, and the and the one of the thorns split its lip and made it have a, an obvious mum. Amale dilma ad So Rava asked, maybe you caused it. Amale lo. No, I didn't. How do you know that if you cause, that it's prohibited actually to cause a mum in the animal, in, in the Bechor, it says, it shall not have a mum in it. That means that I can't put it in directly, but how do you know that I can't even do it indirectly? Like I can't put some dough or some, uh, uh, some dates or something like that and put it on the ear of the Bechor so that it dog will come and bite the animal, will bite the bechor, and give it a mum. How do you know I can't do that? Any defect it shall not have, uh, that teaches you that even if it's an indirect causation, uh, it's still uh, going to, the person is still prohibited to do it, and the knas would be that they wouldn't be able to benefit from it. So the point is that Ravah would ask questions and give the final ruling on Yom Tov, but he would view the mum on Erev Yom Tov. The Mishnah says, Behema Shemeta, if an animal dies, you can't move it from its place. They once asked Rabbi Tarfon about such a case, and about chala that was separated from dough to give to the coin that became tamay and therefore it's useless. And he went into the Beit Midrash and asked, They cannot be moved because they are both useless and muktzeh. On the Yom Tov, it would seem that this Mishnah contradicts Rabbi Shimon. It's not Rabbi Shimon Omer. This is at the end of Masechet Shabbat. 
Rabbi Shimon said that you can cut up gourds in front of an animal, and you, that's not rele- relevant directly to our discussion, but you can cut up meat of an animal that died in front of dogs. In other words, if the animal died on Shabbat, you can cut up the meat and give it to the dogs. According to Rabbi Yehuda, you can't do that because it's muktzeh. Since it was alive when Shabbat began, it was muktzeh at the beginning of Shabbat. Only now it died, so you cannot touch it, you can't handle it, but Rabbi Shimon says you can. Right? So you see that if an animal dies, Rabbi Shimon says you could handle it. But Rabbi Shimon even could agree with this because that Rabbi Shimon agrees that if an animal suddenly died, that it is muktzeh. The only time that Rabbi Shimon says that it's not muktzeh is where it was already sick and you kind of expected it to die. Now that makes sense according to Mor Bar Amemar, who said in the name of Rava, that Rabbi Shimon agrees that if the animal dies suddenly, that it is Muktzeh, and then that would actually fit with our Mishnah too. But according to Mor the son of Rav Yosef, that said in the name of Rav that Rabbi Shimon says that even if the animal dies suddenly on Shabbat or Yom Tov, it's not Muktzeh. So, how are you going to fit that with our Mishnah? Our Mishnah says that if animals die, they are Muktzeh. And Rabbi Shimon says, no, even if animals drop dead, they're not Muktzeh. He'll say, he said, he'll say, that we're talking about a korban that died. And it actually fits with our Mishnah really well. Because what were the two questions that were posed to Rabbi Tarfon? One was about the animal that died, and one was about chala, the, the, the part of the dough designated for the Kohen that became Tameh. Which would make sense that the animal that was, a, was Hekdish, was a korban, died, and the chala that was holy became Tameh. Meaning, Meaning that if it had died, if the animal had died, and it was just a regular chulin animal, it would be permitted. In other words, that would fit with Rabbi Shimon's opinion that even if an animal drops dead, it's still not muktzeh. But if it's a korban, since it had kiddushah, and there's nothing you can do with it besides as a, besides being a korban, you have to bury it now. There's nothing you can do with it now that it died. You can't feed it to dogs because it was a korban. So therefore, it would definitely be muktzeh according to Rabbi Shimon. But that, Yosef. So that fits with the second opinion. That fits with the second interpretation that we mentioned of Rabbi Shimon, that Rabbi Shimon holds that across the board, if an animal dies on Yom Tov or Shabbat, even if it was a totally fine and it was fully well beforehand, it drops dead, it's still not muktzeh. The only case he would say it's muktzeh is a korban. But, but according to uh, the first opinion mentioned above, who said in the name of Rava, apparently they had two different opinions about what Rava said, two different students, two different opinions, who said, that if animals drop dead suddenly, they're definitely muktzeh, so what are we going to say about that? We'll say that it's talking about an animal that was misukenet, we're talking about an animal that was in a state of danger, and therefore, it, and that fits with everyone. Meaning to say, Le'olam Rabbi Shimon, he, that really our Mishnah does follow Rabbi Shimon. In other words, in, in that fits with our Mishnah now, because our Mishnah, we're going to say, is only talking about Kodashim. It's saying, when it comes to Kodashim, there, you can never move it if it dies. Um, but when, but in the other cases where it's where Rabbi Shimon was saying, or the implication rather 
of our Mishnah that anything that is not Kodesh you could move means anything that is not Kodesh and is misukenet, was in danger, was already sick before the Shabbat or Yom Tov where you expected it to die. There, everybody agrees that it is not, you know, that it would be a, um, that if it dies, it, um, according to everyone, Rabbi Shimon would say, I mean, according to everyone, Rabbi Shimon would say that if the animal was sick right before Shabbat or Yom Tov started, that it's, uh, it is not muktzeh when it dies. Um, that both views of Rabbi Shimon agree that Rabbi Shimon holds that it is not muktzeh and, uh, and that the only time then, according to that, where an animal that was in a state of sickness right before Shabbat or Yom Tov would be muktzeh on Shabbat or Yom Tov would be if it was a korban. And that's how we could explain our Mishnah that it was talking, that it was distinguishing between an animal that is sickly and is chulin, where when it dies it is not muktzeh, and an animal that's sickly and is kodashim as a korban, where if it dies it is going to be muktzeh because there's nothing you can do with it. Next Mishnah, we cannot sign up for an animal. The Gemara will explain what this means. However, we could do it on Erev Yom Tov, and they can slaughter it and split it up between them on Yom Tov. My Enimnin, what does Enimnin mean? The Gemara asks. What does it mean not to sign up or not to be counted? Let's say there's people that want to split an animal on Yom Tov. You can't say, in other words, you can go to the butcher that has the animal or to the shochet and say, um, I'm going to take half, he's going to take a third, but you can't mention money. Hey, what do you do? What you do is you take two animals that are of the same value, same size, and, um, and you know, and you take one of them, you slaughter it, one guy gets a third, one guy gets a third, one guy gets a third, and then after Yom Tov, you take the one that was a match to the one that was slaughtered, you assess the value of it, you put a monetary number on it, and you split it into thirds, and each, each person pays a third. That's the way to do it. A person shouldn't say, I'll take one sela, one, uh, in other words, I'd be like, I'll take $100 of the meat, I'll take $200 of the meat, he shouldn't say that. You should say, I'm going to go, I'm going to take half the animal, um, a third of the animal, or a quarter of the animal. And then after Yom Tov, they'll figure out exactly what that translates to in terms of what each person owes to the butcher and what, ha- what each person has to pay for the portion that they got. So the point is that you can actually technically, quote unquote, buy meat or buy food items on Yom Tov without paying. You buy them on credit. You can even buy them in a partnership in a group and know what percentage each person took and then at the end of the Yom Tov we calculate how much is owed by each party and they satisfy their obligation and pay up after the holiday.